Who's heard of Ernest Hemingway? Anyone heard of him? A great writer in the 19th and 20th century. Probably one of the most prolific and one of the most influential. He wrote a short story called The Capital of the World. In it, he wrote the story of a father and his teenage son who were estranged from one another. The son's name was Paco. He had wronged his father, and as a result, in his shame, he had run away from home. In the story, the father searched all over Spain for Paco, but still he could not find his son. Finally, in the city of Madrid, in a last desperate attempt to find Paco, the father placed an ad in the daily newspaper. The ad read, Paco, meet me at the Hotel Montana noon Tuesday, all is forgiven, Papa. The father in Hemingway's story prayed that the boy would see the ad and then maybe, just maybe, he would come to the Hotel Montana. On Tuesday at noon, the father arrived at the hotel. When he did, he could not believe his eyes. An entire squadron of police officers had been called out in an attempt to keep order amongst 800 young boys. It turned out that each one of them was named Paco. And each one of them had come to meet his respective father and find relationship in front of the Hotel Montana. 800 boys named Paco had read the ad and hoped it was for them. 800 Pacos had come to receive the love those so desperately desired. Wow. How about you? But that story is incredible. We've been talking over the last week, we started a series called The Radical Divine Paradox, where we contrasted how religion teaches us to do our best for God and to love God. And how Peter, one of the famous disciples, professed his love for Jesus, but only a few hours later was running for his life, denying that he ever knew Jesus. And yet the disciple who wrote about himself in his own gospel, the gospel of John, John, the person who wrote the book of Revelation, writes about himself, about the Last Supper, that there he was, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Peter, talking about how much he loved Jesus. John, talking about how much Jesus loved him. Six hours later, in the time of crisis, the next day, around the crucifixion and the cross and the horrendous nature of that death, the person who's declared their love for Jesus, which is Peter, is not there, he's disappeared. The only person who's at the foot of the cross, the only disciple was John. And he declares about himself that around the cross was Mary Magdalene and Mary and the disciple whom Jesus loved. One had a revelation that it was about, not about my love for God, but about God's love for me. And that person could handle any crisis. The other person who declared their love for God dropped away whenever there was a crisis. And I think about us, and I think about how that represents us. If you don't ever get a a revelation of God's love for you, you'll never be able to defeat those problems of life in the same way that John did. And what has God called us to do? 
to be so filled with his love. Paul writes in Ephesians, I pray that you would understand the depth of God's love, the height and the depth and the breadth and the width of God's love. He says, I pray your heart would be enlightened that you would understand this. Why? Because when you get it, life starts to have a steadiness about it. Suddenly, the future has a brightness about it. Suddenly, inside of you, you have a resilience begin to grow that's stronger than any force. Because if Jesus is with you, if the Father is with you, who can be against you? But if you don't know that you're loved, if you're striving to prove your love, you're gonna come up short and be disappointed. I don't know if you've ever watched anyone here that's a, a fan of this TV show called Alone. Anyone ever seen Alone? Where they put survivors out near the Arctic and they put them out there and they have to survive for 100 days if they can and they have to tap out. And it's really interesting because the longer these guys go, and we were watching an episode last night, and the longer these guys go, and it's series 10, so we've been in it for 10 series. Uh, so we are devotees because I love the psychology of human nature under pressure. What does it do? How does it respond? And what you find is the longer they go in, they all start to talk about their dads. They all start to talk about their fathers. When left alone from the noise of the world, the thing that resounds in them deeply is the relationship they had with their father and it comes out in their commentary. Remember, they're by themselves talking to a camera for days and days and days and they talk about their dad. Why is that? Because inside of us, there's this yearning to know we are loved by our dad. We expect our mum to love us. She was the one who birthed us. To go through that much pain, she must have loved us. To be part of her body meant that she must, I'm one with her. But my dad's love, well, that's a bit like Paco, I'm not sure. And now most Christians spend their life feeling unworthy, feeling religious, but never getting the revelation that God, your Father, loves you. And when you get it, let me tell you what happens. When you get the love of God, when you get the love of the Father into your heart, when you realize it's not about your love for Him, when you realize the paradox is not about how good you are to Him, but how good He is to you, and it's not about your faith in Him, His faith in you, and it's about His love for you, not your not love for Him, then you feel different. I've had moments in my life and progressively grabbed hold of this truth, truth because it seems so elusive because I'm always about doing something for God. And God's always about trying to tell me, I want you to run from a place of supply and a place of, uh, of love rather than a place of demand. What's a place of supply versus a place of demand? Well, a place of supply is like a mother taking her children to a picnic with a bag full of food, knowing that the child will get hungry, though the child doesn't know it himself or herself. And what does mums do? If you take a dad out, dad's got nothing. But if the mum goes, pulls out a cheese stick, pulls out something else, a sandwich, whatever it might be, and mums have already planned ahead. Well, God wants us to get the revelation that He's planned ahead of you. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He doesn't start something. He hasn't already finished. He works backwards. And He loves me, and therefore, He wants me to lead forward, lean forward, run forward, empowered by that love. 
as opposed to hoping I get it through my performance. Does that make sense? You see, when you know you're loved by God, you receive something tangible. You feel grace. You feel favor. I've been on one side and now I'm on the other side where I know I'm loved by God. Sometimes it disappears, but 90% of the time it's there. When once upon a time, it was never there. It was about me proving to God, proving to God, proving to God, proving to God. And now I'm approved by God. I know I am. And I go into my meetings. I go into situations knowing God is for me. My Father is at my right hand, so I shall not be moved. It brings a confidence when you take your dad to school with you. Uh, and if you're a little kid, there's something about doing that, right? Or oh, dad's here, uh-oh, watch out. And that's how I approach life. Watch out because me and my dad are coming. That's how God wants you to be, right? Me and my dad are coming after you if you've done the wrong thing and are coming for you if we're gonna do something together. You're lucky I've got my dad with me because that helps you. That's how I think. And that came by revelation from the Holy Spirit. There's sometimes, you, I know God loves me, but when you feel the love, it's different. See, I know Jane loves me, but when I feel the love, it's different. She may love me, but when I feel the love, well, that's a, that's a different day. And that's how it is with God. So my question to you is, when was the last time you felt the love? Felt loved by God, not in your head, in your heart, in your emotions. I'll tell you why it's so important. Because your prayers get better results if you know God's with you, because that's called trust and faith. And because faith is the currency of heaven, I need to trust in God and I need to believe that God is for me and with me, and walking through this life by my side. Otherwise, I'm going to get all messed up, confused, and disappointed. Do you remember when the disciples came to Jesus, and they said to Jesus, we don't know how to pray, even though we got taught how to pray in our religious schools. We don't know how to really pray, but we've been watching you pray, and you pray differently. Would you please teach us to pray? Remember that in Luke 11? And what is Jesus' first thing that he says? says, when you pray, say, Father, my Father. The first thing at the top of a prayer is an understanding that Jesus was talking to his Father, not talking just to some deity. Because if he's just a force, a power, a God, some kind of immeasurable thing, some kind of thing I can't relate to, how can I ever be confident that the deity is going to help me? But if he's my D-A-D, my dad, not just G-O-D, God, then I can be confident that he is for me because my dad is going to be for me. Does that make sense? This is like, this is like so revolutionary yet so simple and I want to explain to you how through the Bible, God reinforces this. You know, Jesus says, so he's trying to teach them how to pray. So the very first thing he wants them to know is you're praying to Father. And if you don't understand who Father is, you'll never understand any of the rest of it. Father is who he is. He's my Father. He's my Father. He's my Father. He is everything in my life. And the two times that God speaks audibly that's recorded in the New Testament 
He says the same thing. He leaves nothing on the table. It's not, I love you if, or I love you because. In Matthew 17, it says this, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led him up to a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And then appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus while he was still speaking. A bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. First words, whom I love. Not whom is a great guy. He's a great, he's going to be awesome. He's a great teacher, whatever. He is my son. More than he's your leader, he's my son. With him I am well pleased, so listen to him. The affirmation of Father on Jesus the Messiah was palpable in every encounter. When Jesus prayed, it was Father. When God spoke, it was Son, your Father loves you. This is the most basic, the most powerful, the most incredible part of our Christian life is to know that we're loved by God. It's not my love for God, it's God's love for me. You want to have power in your life? You want to have success? Let your father give you a revelation of how much he loves you and how much he's for you, despite the stuff-ups you may have made. Is that a word here? It is in Australia. It was a revelation of God's love that created unreasonable trust. Jesus' whole life was empowered by the love of his father that was expressed fully and unreservedly. And Jesus said things like this. Let me read to you some scriptures. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees who? His father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. Why would you do that if you don't love and don't feel loved by your father? I heard someone say this, you know, when you're about seven, you want to be like your dad. When you're 17, you want to be nothing like your dad. And when you get to 37, you realize you are your dad. <laughs> so, John 14, 10, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own, says Jesus. Instead, it is the Father dwelling in me, performing his works. Can you see how important the Father was to Jesus? And how important Jesus was to the Father and how he declared his love and how God wants to do the same for you and I. Otherwise, you're going to always be like the Paco trying to find where that place of connection is. Never feeling loved. John 12, I have not spoken on my own, but the Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. Who did Jesus talk to in the garden? Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Who did he speak to on the cross? Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Even in his pain, there was no doubt about his father's love for him. Jesus himself relied totally on the love of his father to accomplish everything he did. And Paul, the apostle Paul, takes up the concept once again in the book of Romans. In this very powerful chapter, one of the great chapters of the Bible, Romans chapter 8. And I want to read to you, uh, this, explain the scene to you, right? So we get to verse 11. And Paul is writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is the great treaties of grace. The book of Romans is how Martin Luther went from being a Catholic priest 
cutting himself with glass to prove his worthiness to God by suffering to realizing you're saved by grace. But here's the problem. We don't take the revelation further. We're saved by grace and then we live by works. Instead of being saved by grace and living by grace, empowered by grace, filled with grace, God filling us full of his power and the love of God is the gateway to grace. The Spirit of God, listen, he's writing this under, so he's got his pen out, right? What kind of pen, pen he used? He's got this pen out and Paul's writing, you can imagine, he's writing this epistle that would become the cornerstone of all Christianity in terms of doctrine, the doctrine of salvation or soteriology, as we'd say. It says, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Wow, that's incredible. He lives in me. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. That's why you've got to have the Holy Spirit. You can't come to the Father without the Holy Spirit. He's the conduit that connects you, right? He says, you have received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. And then I can imagine the scene. I want you to imagine He's under the inspiration. Remember, He's not copying this from somewhere. He's writing this from divine revelation. Then He says this, now we call Him. But now we call him, and he's stumped. He's writing in Greek. Remember, the whole of the New Testament is written in Greek language. And he's writing in Greek. So the Greek word for father is the word pater, P-A-T-E-R. That means father. That's the Greek word for father. So as he's writing under the inspiration, I can imagine he's, you know, it's kind of backing up for a big, you know, big sprint. Now what shall we call him? We shall call him Peter. Oh, gee. That's not it. It's not it, Holy Spirit. It's not Peter. His father, the father like that is like a separated individual, kind of an austere kind of character. You know, Peter is on this respect. Well, you're up here and I'm down here and there's no real relationship. And so Paul's struggling to find the language to use to describe how much God loves us. He says, listen, if you're filled with the Spirit of God, you're the children of God, and you receive God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. And because of that, we call Him, no, Peter won't work. Can you imagine him? We think, oh, he just flowed like this, you know. But I reckon he got to places where he'd write his block. Okay, what is it, Holy Spirit? I know there's more. And so Paul has to pull out of the Aramaic language. He can't find a Greek word to describe what he's trying to say. So he pulls from the Aramaic language this word that means papa. And this is where he says, so now we call him, I can't call him Peter, I can't call him that figure of authority, what can I call him? Well, I know what I'll do, I'll pull out a word from the Aramaic and I'll stick it in the Greek, not good English, that's, or not good writing, but that's what we're going to do. We're going to put a foreign word in there. We're going to put Abba. I'm going to use the word Papa because Papa describes what I'm trying to say. And what Papa means is this. It's like, it's like Zara standing, holding my leg like there's a, there's a trust. It's like our kids, you know, um, when they're younger, when our kids are little, they think we're, dad's a superman. Dad's the strongest. Dad's the fastest. Dad's the biggest, then the biggest becomes something else. But when they're younger, right, they think dads can do no wrong. Then they wake up. 
And what the word Abba, the word Papa, is what that word means, is when children are at the age where they think their father can do no wrong, where they just unreasonably trust whatever Papa says must be right. And Paul is trying to describe this new relationship with us and God. He says, now we don't call him Peter. We don't call him father. We don't call him dad. We call him Papa. This unreasonable trust between us and God. Here's what's incredible. When they were translating the Greek to the English, they could find no word to compare either. So they leave this Aramaic word stuck in the text of English because they can't improve upon what is an extraordinary word that doesn't get understood in our American and Australian and, and Western culture, Brazilian culture about our dads. We don't see them that way. And God, Paul is trying to say, listen, you've got to see your father in heaven this way. He's not your Peter. He's not your dad. He's your papa. He's your Abba. He's someone that's far bigger, much stronger, more involved, cares more, loves more than you can ever wonder how. He's trying to get us to get a revelation. He's trying to elevate who we are so we can understand him. He has problems expressing, and the translators too can't work out how to translate this word Abba, so they leave it in too. And what God's trying to say to us, church, is that we have a papa called God. It's saying your capacity to understand him fully is only through the heart of a child, not the paralysis of analysis of an adult. We've got to come back with faith and trust and trust Him. I want to play you a video that illustrates this and hopefully we're going to have it on this big screen. Play this video and then I'm going to come back and talk to you. But this is a father and this is how God is with us.
You know, when I watch that, even though I've watched it lots of times, it still makes me tear up. And my question for you is this, what is it you're facing? You can see the anguish on Derek's face, all his aspirations, all his dreams. Maybe you've got dreams for your kids, dreams for your future, dreams for your life. And you feel like it's all gone or it's in danger of going. If an earthly dad could jump out of the stands and come and assist his injured son across the line, don't you think, don't you think that your heavenly father wants to come? Derek Redmond could have pushed him away. He kind of did a little bit. But the power and the love of his dad overpowered his resistance. Then what did his dad do? Allowed him, allowed him to be a winner. Run across that line himself. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what's going on in your life. But I can promise you this. Religion will not be the answer. But Jesus and the Father's love for you is the answer. We need to be in a community like this. But we need to understand this is not about religious religion and doing things to try to prove our love to God. This is about being empowered out of this place by our Father to go take on the world.